to the fourth official soccer podcast. My name is Boreal Demi. I am joined by my co-host Sulaiman Lassisi. Sulaiman, this weekend was filled with thrillers and emotional games. How do you feel about this past weekend? Well, Bori, it was a busy weekend. I spent most of the time trying to keep up pace, seeing Messi scoring free kicks, and you know, the biggest game in the Premier League also going on. So it was just, of course, Germany as well. So it was just a lot to keep track of. But, you know, it was very well worth it. Very impressive score lines and just a lot of fun soccer to watch. Yes, and for the first time ever, we were actually together this past weekend, basically for the whole weekend, at an event. And we saw, we were basically watching the games together. So it was pretty fun to have, you know, just see your reactions to certain things. And we had, uh, we basically had the podcast this past weekend. So that was really fun to do. Um, what do you have for us for the spot kick this week? Yeah, before I get into this spot kick, I'm actually going to say being in the same space with you watching all these games made me realize how big of a messy fan you were. But I have to all say right. he definitely delivered this past weekend. Okay, all right. Don't don't call me out like that. Don't call me out like that. <laughs> you know, just saying. So I'm going to actually go to the spot kick section. And this one was something that I found very interesting. But when it comes to the strongest league, the toughest league in Europe, which league comes to mind and which league comes to mind as weakest? So when I say most competitive, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, sure. First. So I've had this debate many times. I think in the in the in the last few, like the, the last recent years, I think the most competitive to me is the the uh, La Liga. Um, and I have my reasons for saying that, but that is the most competitive. But obviously, based on media hype, and just the number of games that are shown and just the advertisement and marketing, uh, it feels like the EPL is the most competitive league. And when it comes to the weak league, again, the media tells us that it's the league on. But, uh, you know, past seasons show actually that it is the league on. <laughs> uh, that was a trick question. But no, I, I think it's definitely the league on. Um, I think will be the weak league. Uh, weak league. Um, I was going to say the Serie A, but uh, last the last few you know years, um, you see Napoli. You've seen we've seen Napoli challenge for the for the title, but obviously it's been Juventus winning it since the 2012 campaign. Yeah, that actually, I echo the same sentiments as you in the regards that the EPL usually gets the nod for being the most competitive and League On kind of, you know, gets being branded around as being the weakest league, of course, because of the dominance of PSG. But what I just did was I went through the top five leagues and I did like a a status of the last five games. Like, and looking through the, these leagues, I find out that in the Premier League and also in the Bundesliga, there is at least one team that has won the last five games. Those are the only two leagues in Europe where you have one team winning the last five games. And to me, of course, I am just making up these metrics. And to me, this feels like either the scheduling is not the most efficient or the leagues are actually weak. Because we have in the EPL, you have one team winning five games in a row in Chelsea. And also in the Bundesliga, you have Offenheim winning five games in a row. Now, I, I, I took it a little further and I said, are there teams who have not lost in the last five games? Just to be able to see, okay, maybe they don't win five games, but they didn't lose. And it also shows that 
in the EPL, there are four teams who haven't lost in the last five games. Wow. And also in La Liga, there are two teams. It's neither Barcelona and it's neither Real Madrid. It's actually Sevilla and Atletico Madrid. But also Syria has four teams that hasn't lost in the last five games. So for me, that kind of shows that it is contrary to my understanding and belief that the EPL is the most competitive because you have one team who hasn't who has won all five games and also you have one team you have four teams who haven't lost in the last five games so that doesn't show to me that it is as competitive because if it were very competitive it should be any given weekend any team can lose or any team can can tie just my opinion that's what i saw yeah so so i i see what you're saying and i, I completely agree i mean I, that stat is very interesting but just even looking at first of all goals scored looking at the score lines in 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 the epl looking at the record-breaking uh you know like last season we had two teams 90 plus points um the season before we had city reach 100 points so this is something you don't see in other leagues now does that mean does that mean that like when you know when people I, and we've had this argument before with other people where they say the EPL is the most competitive league, league in the world, but I'm like, well, you don't have all these record-breaking points uh, and wins in 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 other leagues as you're having in this league, and uh, yeah, so so that really just shows me that the EPL, at least again in the recent modern times, uh, in the last let's say five or four or five years. It's not. It's not been the most competitive league, and and I think La Liga has been the most competitive league, just given the number of goals scored, given the number of um, uh, well, I, I know Barcelona wins every time, but uh, that's because they have, you know, the best player in the world. It's hard to beat the best player in the world, uh, on the team. So, so yes, so that I I completely agree, and and I'm glad you see it from your own metric that the EPL is actually not the most competitive league, um, right now. And yes, we actually will try to revisit this topic at the end of the season because, like I said, I just took a snapshot. But I think this is actually an indicator that it's it might not be as evenly matched as we think the EPL is. Now, with that being said, Bori, let's move to very important and crucial matters, talking matters like the weekend top-of-the-table battle in the Premier League. What are your reactions from the Liverpool versus Manchester City game? This game made me pull up the rules, okay? To see what the Premier League, on their official website, what their interpretation of the rule, of the handball rule is. That is what this weekend brought, you know, that's what this weekend made me do uh, because it is really, really ridiculous. I, I know we talk about VAR you know, week in, week out, every every episode seems like we're talking about VAR and also racism. But my God, horrible officiating this weekend. And that that that's what my weekend was about. So what stood out to you in horrible officiating? I mean, we had the the Liverpool Manchester City game. Was there a particular call or inconsistency? Well just something you want to let out to our listeners? Yes, sure, sure. So the initial the you know the the handball that Arnold um, had that led to Liverpool's first goal, so the initial handball. Um, that call was, I I think, and again based on what I've been reading on the at, you know the rules, 
I think it was a handball. And people have said so many things on social media. Obviously, even top coaches like Mark Klassenberg and just, you know, top, top, top refs, I mean, top referees are also split on this decision uh, that if this, if that was a handball or not. First of all, I'm sure you've you've realized based on what we you know said this past summer that the Arnold handball, the initial one, was not in a natural silhouette because his arm was way away from his body. That's that's the first thing. Um, second of all, uh, second of all, uh, people have brought up the fact that Bernardo Silva's handball had a handball which would have cancelled the the penalty anyway or the goal. If it led to, a, you know, if if the penalty led to a goal, uh, which obviously again it's not part of the rules. That's not what the rule says. And I'm actually gonna just read a snippet of the rule. Um, and actually, this is something that I I'm, I I don't know. I don't think we've mentioned this in in the um, in the in the podcast before. But it's about the handball rule, but specifically with deflections. Okay. So the rule says here that there will be allowed extra leeway when it comes to ricochet handballs so if you think about it the bernardo silva's handball is not handball because first of all it doesn't lead to a goal right because if if it if that handball had led to a goal then yes that goal would have been cancelled no matter what no questions asked um so and also it's not a handball so meaning it's not a free kick to liverpool because it was a deflected it deflected off lauren's foot and hit his arm and then that eventually went on to trent arnold uh, Trent Arnold, who first of all touched the ball with his hand, okay, so it's not it's not like he touched any other part of his body, but touched it with his hand first, then went back to his thigh, okay. So if he had done the reverse, if he had touched his thigh first and then touched his hand, then that's a total different story. Th- that would be not a handball because it's in the deflection rule that that is not a handball. Now, the reason why I'm pissed and the reason why I'm I'm yelling and I had to go pull up the, the rule is what are the VAR people doing? Do they not know the rule? Is this is this something that we have to always talk about every weekend? Are they not pulling up the rule side by side, you know, when they're reviewing the goals? Or do they not have time to understand the rules? Like, this is why I'm confused. And this is basically what I have to say. And this is my rant, basically, about this this past weekend. Um, The second handball by Arnold was... I personally think it was not a handball because I think that was a natural silhouette. Um, but the laws maybe need to change. Maybe the maybe the hand needs to be literally close to the body, right? It needs to be close to the body. And remember, this this same handball was given to Liverpool in the UEFA Champions League last season. Okay, when Sissoko, Sissoko had his arm out and, and it, it touched his arm, and that was the penalty. So if that was a penalty, why is Trent Arnold uh, Arnold Alexander's Handball not a penalty. This is this is how I feel. I, I don't know how you feel about the situation, Suleiman. Yeah, I can sense the frustration just from listening to you about the events surrounding VAR and the calls this past weekend. And I think it's justified. But I, I am at the point now where I really don't care much about VAR. I want to focus on the actual body of work from both teams. Because to me, if there is one thing that has been consistent about VAR, it's actually the fact that VAR implementation in the Premier League is inconsistent. And I actually want to just get over that and focus on the primary elements of the game, as that is what brought me into watching soccer in the first place. Well, I would say this, that English refs are notoriously bad. 
And this is why you don't see them at the World Cup. Uh, you rarely see them at, at, at the Champions League. And they are just horrible officials. It, it's it's ridiculous. Like, it's almost as if there is somebody pressing... The, the, it's almost as if there, there are two buttons. There's a yes or no. And they're just randomly pressing the button, you know, saying, oh, let's give a penalty or, or let's not give a penalty. Or that was offside or no, that was not offside. It, it's ridiculous to me. And... And something needs to change. I, I don't think it's VAR. I, I, VAR is, again, VAR is an instrument. It's just a technology. The people that are interpreting VAR, the people that are interpreting the law, either need to take a sabbatical and study for like the next six months because it's ridiculous how they cannot transfer or understand the rules and apply that to the game. Um, but I will I will leave that to next week because I'm pretty sure, or, or in two weeks, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be another VAR controversy next next game. I agree with you. Very soon we'll see something even more egregious. But before next week, I actually want to ask you, in terms of the teams that played, what stood out to you, what stood out to you as a good performance like who do you think actually had a good game or who had a bad game and i'm gonna go first just to give you some context here i personally thought liverpool's midfield i mean you had one cross from henderson and then you had a goal from fabinho and then wijnaldum was all over the place covering every blade of grass at Anfield, I personally think they don't get enough credit in the way that they are very direct and aggressive and they contribute to the attack like we saw last weekend. So for me personally, I think Liverpool midfield was the difference maker. Yeah, I mean, this is something I I think Liverpool's midfields, I've always, I think I've said this before, that that is their weakness. Uh, I think everything else in Liverpool's, uh, the forwards and the back back line and keeper, they're, they're the best of Liverpool. Um, but yes, you're right. I, I mean, the the midfielders came through this uh, this this game. Um, just one thing I wanted to say about the game. I thought it was a great game. Uh, you know, barring the the uh, you know the VAR situation that we had, but um, this is a classic Liverpool high pressing high pressing team. Uh, they don't let you breathe. But I gotta give credit to Man City before the controversy controversy started because they were able to keep up with the you know. With the with the pace and they were able to pass around. Uh, I think there was even a passage of play. Um, I think this was after the the goal. Or I can't I can't remember specifically when I saw. And I was actually surprised that Bravo was able to actually dish out the ball like as if it was Ederson. Um, so I just just seeing them play out of that pressure um, from Liverpool was was good to see. And this is something that we've seen. This is something that we know that City can do. Um, however, though, I'll say this after. The first controversy after the first handball um, situation that led to a goal, I think that kind of tilted and kind of uh, disoriented Man City and, and they became a different team. Although they were still pressing and still doing stuff, but you, you could tell it was not the same team um, again. Um, and it was just, you know, it, it it took the fun out of the game for them. Or it took the... the, the they felt cheated. They felt like they, they couldn't win. They felt like they were going against... They were playing against 13 players, you know, the, the I mean, well, 12, 12 players, the 11 team and, and the 12th uh, is the ref, ref referee. So it, it felt, it, I felt, I felt like they, they felt cheated and maybe that had brought down their morale and they weren't happy about that and that kind of affected the game. Uh, but I got to give credit to Bernardo Silva too. That goal he scored was a wowzer. 
Um, and also, I, I got to give credit to Arnold and Robertson. They are, I mean, those are the two people you need to really mark when you're playing Liverpool. You need to basically stop them from crossing because they are phenomenal when it comes to crossing and, and attacking, playing attacking football. Agreed. Arnold and, Rob, Arnold and Robertson, I, there was a sequence of play that went from Arnold to Robertson and then to Salah. So you, you definitely are right in the fact that they are the key elements of this team's attack. And let's move forward and talk about the ascendancy that Leicester City and Chelsea have established. Chelsea have won five of the last five games, albeit they've, the toughest team they've played is Burnley, which is sitting in 10th place. And Leicester City has won four of the last five games, and the last team they lost to was Liverpool. So they both sit second and third, respectively, in the table. And I wanted to ask you, I remember at the beginning of the season, we had our predictions of who was going to finish where. And given where these teams are sitting today, I don't actually want to jump into any conclusions, but do you think at least one or both of these teams have a chance in playing Champions League football next season based on the current immaculate, near-excellent form that they've exhibited? So, Lamon, this is a very, very great question because I've actually analyzed this before in my head. We've seen this before, at least in other leagues, especially in La Liga, in, in, in Syria. You see a team that you don't expect to be in the top four, and they are in the top four. So Leicester City is who I'm talking about. Now, the question is, can this last? Okay, Can they take it all the way to the end of, of the season in May? This is something you see from top teams like Liverpool and Man City, uh, and before when Tottenham was still you know, good. Um, but... I don't know. Just based on past experiences, it's hard for me to say that they will be top four. However, though, let's remember, teams like Manchester United, teams like Tottenham are playing woefully this, this season. So that could help them. If Tottenham and Manchester United so, you know, don't figure out what's going on with them, and including Arsenal, uh, then I think Leicester can do it. But Leicester, like, let's not forget, Leicester is still Leicester. And it's not the same Leicester from 2014. I certainly don't think they can win the league. And I will say there's a 50% chance they stay in the top four. Again, just this is something we see from quote-unquote smaller teams. Um, they are not usually consistent throughout the season. So that's, that's one thing. That's Leicester. Now, when it comes to Chelsea, again, same story. We've seen this with Ajax. We've seen this with teams that have small, small you know, young players. While I'm giving, I give credits to Frank Lampard for being able to win the last five games. You certainly cannot say like, yes, they've only played small teams. I mean, the fact that they're still winning against those small teams is still a good thing because again, remember their their squad is is you know just full of young players. That, you know, they didn't have a transfer this past uh, transfer window. So that said, the same thing applies here. We've seen it where young players. In the beginning, they have enthusiasm. They're happy. They're moving around. They're, they're running with pace. And suddenly, after uh, after a point, they start uh, to collapse. Maybe things are not going right anymore. Basically, my point is, we've seen this before, where a young team is doing very well in the beginning, and then suddenly they start slumping. So again, it all boils down really to Tottenham um, and Arsenal and, and, and Manchester United. 
if those three teams decide today or after the, the break is over that they're going to start winning games, then suddenly this is a different story because then I don't think Chelsea and Leicester will be able to keep up. And and this 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 is just my analysis about those two teams. Um, so again, I give Chelsea a fifty percent chance of staying in the top four only because I've seen this before. Yeah. Just while you were talking about it, it dawned on me that, well, it should be obvious, but it dawned on me that there can only be four teams that will make the Champions League. And Tottenham have actually established themselves also going to the Champions League final last year as perennial qualifiers for the Champions League. And then you have Arsenal and Manchester United. Albeit they've been in the wilderness of European soccer, but they also are trying to get into the spots. And the way Leicester City is playing right now, and just because of the experience that Brendan Rodgers have, I think they actually have an inside chance of making the top four. Chelsea, I think it's going to be a little more work in terms of consistency. But at this point, I I think Leicester City has a chance of making the top four. So then let's move on from the Premier League and talk about the things happening in Germany in the Bundesliga. This past weekend was a power weekend. We had Bayern Munich playing Borussia Dortmund and it was supposed to be a cotton razor, especially for Hans Flink, who is the new coach of Bayern Munich. And would you say it lived up to expectation or did it disappoint you in any way? Well, I'm not surprised that... Bayern won. I'm, I guess I'm more surprised that they won by four goals. Dortmund has been hot and cold this season, for lack of better terms. Um, you know, especially against Inter Milan in the Champions League, they came down from a 2-0 deficit and they were able to win 3-2. We've seen that this season when they, you know, they, they've been able to come back a few games. We've also seen this season that they've lost to small teams, including a, I think, a, a relegated a, a team that just came from from the you know from from the relegation um so i'm not surprised i i guess when a new coach joins a team there's a lot of their 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 changes there's a breath of fresh air and i think that's what's happening right now in um in, in bayern uh if you notice coutinho has been benched the past two games um and they've been starting uh thomas Mueller um in place of coutinho um, so this is, you know, just change of tactics, change of, of scenery feels like it is for Bayern Munich. Now, the question is, can Flick keep it up? Can he instill whatever he's doing right now? Can he keep it up for the rest of the season? I don't think so. I think Bayern is in a situation where that they need to actually wait till the end of season and then figure out the transfers, figure out a new coach before they can actually uh, think about getting back to the top of the table. Um, so yeah, that is that is just how I feel about that game. But kudos to kudos to um to uh, uh you know Bayern Munich for winning 4-0. Again, I couldn't believe the scoreline was going to be four goals. Uh, but uh, again, not really surprised because it's Dortmund. They've been hot and cold this season. Agreed. I want to actually single out Lewandowski for the fact that he set all kinds of records in terms of goal scoring. We know he has played for both of these teams at different times in his career, and he has never been shy of putting the ball in the back of the net whenever presented the chance. So he had a very great game. Adding to your point about Bayern, how well they'll do under flank, we will see. But I think this definitely doesn't hurt 
his credentials when it comes to considerations for the permanent coaching position when that time comes. With that being said, I want to quickly talk about Red Bull Leipzig and how they performed this past weekend. They played Hertha Berlin and they were playing away and still managed to win 4-2 with Timo Werner getting the goals twice. This guy keeps scoring. And what do you yeah. think about Leipzig's chances of holding on to their prized jewel? I, I'm not a fan of Timo Werner, actually. I, I don't know if that's going to come to you as a surprise. Um, I think... I don't think he's that great of a striker. Yes, he scores amazing goals. Um, but I've seen situations where I feel like he should convert the goals and he, you know, like, what is he doing, right? Um, so that that's why I don't rate him as a striker, uh, as a good striker. You think of someone like Mbappe, for example. I'm not trying to compare both of them, but if you look at Mbappe, when you give him a chance, it's always usually on target. Sometimes, yes, it goes over the bar, but you can tell that there's a skill there. I don't get that same vibe from Timo Werner. I get a um, flash, like I get flashes of of you know brilliance um, from from Timo Werner. But I need somebody that that is going to be consistent, is going to be scoring, that's going to be converting every chance to you know a shortened target or a goal. Um, so, but yes, I, Timo Werner right now looks like somebody that um, you know I think Bayern Munich was trying to sign him last season. Um, I, and I feel like, again, given the situation, given, well, it, it's kind of weird now because Lewandowski is doing very well, so I don't know if they're going to go for him, but uh, I, I'll be surprised if no one snaps him up uh, next season. Him him and Harland, um, Harland is doing very well again. He's called, like, what, I think I saw a, a stat of, like, six hat-tricks this season. It's, it's ridiculous that somebody can score that many hat-tricks this season, but... Um, Yes, so I, I think Timo Werner is definitely going to be snapped up. I think it would be good business for RB Leipzig to be able to sell him for a very high price. Again, I agree with your sentiment about him, and I think this summer will prove to be his breakout summer into some big club. Just a roundup of the Bundesliga, we have Gladbach still sitting in first place, and then Leipzig and Bayern are tied in points, but Leipzig have the goal advantage there. So they both have second and third place. And Dortmund is in sixth place with 19 points. I think with the way the season progresses, I still think Bayern have a really good chance at claiming another Bundesliga trophy. But I will leave it at that and hand it over to you to enlighten us about the other happenings in Europe well, this weekend. Well, before before we do that, I was actually going to ask you if you thought Monken got back was going to win this season the EPL I, I mean the Bundesliga as you can see from the table they are four points up do you think they can win or uh, well you said Bayern could, can win but you don't think they can win you count them out I don't think Gladbach can win I think this is one of those things where they keep the seat warm for the eventual winners of the Bundesliga which as history tells us recent history particularly tells us this is most likely going to be Bayern Munich and if there is any other team that has a chance I will put my money on Borussia Dortmund ahead of Gladbach all right well talking about putting your money somewhere would you put your money on Messi scoring free kicks two free kicks in a game Suleiman you know, I was thinking about it, and this stemmed from the fact that I saw the game with you and I saw your reactions, and I was actually thinking about 
the word free kick, right? A free kick. But you see that maybe not very many players actually use it like it should be. It's a free kick. And this weekend we saw many actually we saw Messi make the best of these free opportunities and convert them into goals. So based off of his performance this past weekend, I will put my money on Messi doing right by the free kicks. Well, if our listeners didn't see or hear <clears throat> this past weekend, Barcelona beat Celta Vigo 4-1 and Messi scored a hat-trick. And yes, he scored two free kicks out of this hat-trick. So, Lamont, I just want to talk to you real quick about you saying me being, uh, you know, a fan of Messi, right? My, my deal here is if you see a guy score that many free kicks, and by the way, he actually has now surpassed Juninho for number of free kicks scored, um, is this not somebody I should be cheerful about? Well, you seem to have a problem with me liking Messi. It's actually not the problem with you, with, with the fact that he's scoring free kicks. Just the hype. I haven't seen you being that full of energy about any particular sporting event. So I, it was nice to see you get that hype about him. And it actually makes sense. I mean, he has more free kicks than Juninho, whom I definitely regard as a better free kick taker than anyone I've seen play the game. So there is some truth to your excitement. I just... I. I don't share that kind of excitement when Messi plays the game, but obviously you do. And no shades, because <laughs> what I saw this weekend, maybe maybe it was only when I saw Kaká play the game, or maybe Ronaldo da Lima, did I ever get close to that level of excitement. Bezema is the man right now. He keeps scoring. He keeps... This past weekend, they beat Aiba 4-0, and, and they were away, by the way. Um, and Benzema scored uh, two goals. Um, do you, I, I guess, the, so the reason why I'm bringing up Benzema up is a lot of people basically said, you know, he can't, he's not a great player, he's not a, a, a great striker, and once Ronaldo leaves, he's not going to score any, you know, he's going to score like the same number of goals he was scoring, but it seems like he's actually a very good striker. What do you think about him? Bori, I am laughing. I cannot believe you asking me what I think about Benzema. I made this clear over the summer that Benzema is more than capable. Benzema will deliver. And Benzema is dependable. He's productive. He's not going to score 40 goals a season. He's going to give you 20 any given season. You can take that to the bank. So I am not surprised that he is delivering. What he needs around him are people like Hazard and Jovic and whoever else they signed to put in just as much as he's doing. And he, he's causing big games just as well as he's causing in small games. And the best part about his game, it reminds me of Wayne Rooney, is he's not too proud to play supporting cast to a better player. So if and when Hazard decide, decides to step up, Benzema will let him get those goals while also contributing at assists and goals to go with it. You're right. Um, I well, I, I I like I I was not a fan of him, but now I see the kind of player he is, and I respect him, and I respect Zidane for bringing the best out of him. Uh, the person he's not able to bring the best out of is Hazard. Uh, seems to be struggling. Um, I don't think there's anything to see here. I think it's one of those situations where the first time in a new league, new atmosphere, new fans, 
new responsibility. Well, although it's not really a new responsibility, but I, I think it's one of those things where maybe Hazard just needs time to adapt and he will eventually get his mojo back. But Suleiman, the way we're looking at it, it seems like he's absolutely horrendous. Hazard is a phenomenal player. I cannot stress that enough. But am I worried? Yes, I am worried because a lot of this is very mental. And I don't think just just from the games I've seen of him, I think it tends to drift when he runs into difficulties. I think it tends to let those things linger as shown on, on the football field. And in that sense, I am worried that this might drag on longer than it should. But hopefully... He can get back his confidence. He just needs to score a brace in a game and maybe a couple assists, and that can get him going. Atletico Madrid uh, won this weekend, surprisingly. Uh, usually they've been tying a lot this season, uh, but uh, like at least the last three games, they've had two draws, and, and the last one was a win. Um, but I wanted to point out Morata. Um, Mor- again, I'm not going to say Morata is back, or I, I don't think he's... Personally, I don't think he's is that of a great striker or, or forward, but um, you know he he did very well. He assisted the goal, he scored the goal, uh, and, and they won. So there's nothing much to say here other than uh, Atletico seems to be struggling, especially with just drawing so many games. And we've seen this before. They they always draw. They're a very defensive side. Um, so they concede, they don't concede that many, but then also they also don't score that many. So let's hope and see if they can keep doing well this season. And with that, we're going to move on to the Syria A. This past weekend, um, I would say I've not seen Milan play this way all season or maybe, yeah, or all season long. Um, Juve played Milan this weekend. Um, Juve won 1 0, but. I don't think that was the headline of the past weekend. The headline of the past weekend is, was Ronaldo getting subbed again, you know, for the second time in a row, um, and the goals coming in after he was subbed up, subbed off. Um, Suleiman, is there anything to read into this? Um, we've heard the, the media. The media have said many things, and people have tried to cover it up. They said, yes, Ronaldo is not 100%, so they had to sub him off. But that was not the reaction we got because as soon as he got subbed off, he went straight into the dressing room. And, you know, if a player goes into the dressing room, it's either for a red card or I guess maybe an injury, uh, like a one that needs attention immediately, or the player is pissed. So what do you what do you read into this? Do you think Ronaldo has come to his end at or is his form uh, is depreciating a lot now? What's going on? Bori, we had some argument offline this weekend about how his productivity has not been at its peak. I thought different, but looking at his productivity, like he showed me, it looked like he has a dip in form at the moment. So that might have prompted Maurizio Sarri to take him out of the game. But two things actually come to mind. The first being that I didn't think of Sarri as someone who would be able to fashion that kind of substitution based on the way the Kepper saga played out at Mm -hmm. Chelsea. So I'm surprised that he's actually doing this. That's the first one. The second one was Dybala coming on to score. I kind of felt like Ronaldo and Higuain, after a while, were starting to 
get great chemistry. So the fact that Dybala has now become the savior for this team in beating a lackluster, non-elite Milan team kind of tells me that this coach is very capable of using all the options he has available when the situation and the need arises. You are right. And I think, again, I've probably mentioned this somewhere, um, maybe not on the podcast, but with friends. Um, I, I think my concern initially when I heard Sarri was going to Juve with Ronaldo there was, I think Ronaldo is going to be the boss. But like you said, it's been surprising to see that again twice in a row, even after the Italian media has been talking about this nonstop, how, you know, Sarri was able to sub him off. And, and this is, again, something that worried me. I thought Sarri wouldn't have the guts to do so, but he did. And I will tell you something. The way Sarri plays, the high-pressing ball, um, is, I don't think it really suits Ronaldo's style of play because basically Juve plays with 10 men when it comes to defense or, or when it comes to just general play until it gets to like the final third and scoring a goal. But I think that's been the problem that Ronaldo's had and also the problem that Sarri has had with with um, with with Ronaldo. Um, I think, again, just my opinion, I think Juve is better without Ronaldo just because you don't have that player that is just going to grab the ball, take it to the center, and shoot. And that's, a, some, that's something that I've complained about. And like you said, we, we talked about this in, over the weekend. Ronaldo, yes, I'm not saying he's not a great player. He's a great player, but the way he's playing somehow or kind of doesn't fit the way Sarri wants to play. And that's that's what I'm gathering from what I'm seeing. And and Dybala is exactly the kind of player that Sarri wants, somebody that's going to press the ball, somebody that's going to pass around and link up with Higuain. And to be honest, I think Juve is probably better off with, with Ronaldo. And now, don't get me wrong, there's, there are going to be times where Ronaldo will need to score because, you know, Ronaldo is the guy that scores when it's actually needed. So I I don't know if this is something that will continue. I don't know if this if he will start to sit and you know sit out of games, but uh, it's certainly sad to see the scenes because you know Ronaldo is somebody that you think of as somebody that you know that you know, always scores and is always the champion of a team, but right now it doesn't seem like it. I think you actually are reaching my level of being nonchalant when it comes to AC Milan because I am surprised that we're talking about Juventus Milan and the most important topic to discuss is actually Ronaldo being subbed off. It is fine by me. I'm just surprised that you've reached those same levels that I am at. Well, yeah, uh, Ronaldo, uh, I mean, uh, Milan, got to give credit to them. Uh, Pioli was able to instill some kind of... uh, you know, uh, uh, confidence to them, and they were able to. They they did very well. Just you know, they just didn't convert the chances. Uh, so, but again, same same old story. Losing the time, not good enough. Currently 14th. Uh, that's not good enough. But the other team I want to talk about this uh, in Syria is Napoli. Um, so there is turmoil in Napoli currently because again they're not doing well. I think in the last few games they've probably I think they've drawn. They, well, the last five games, they've only won one game. They've drawn three and lost one. Um, the issue with Napoli is, again, don't know what's going on. Something just started to happen. And then the management of Napoli decided that the players should go and retreat. The players 
protested that and said they're not going to go and retreat. And that's the situation. And Ancelotti, I give credit to Ancelotti for backing his players up. But it seems like Napoli is not going to do well this season just based on what Something needs to change. Either it may be the... I would not say the coach, but maybe the something needs to change mentally. Uh, but it's really sad to see Napoli go down the drain. I had them to win the, the Serie A, if you remember. Um, but uh, obviously, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, anything to say about Napoli, Simon? Just like you, Bori, I am disappointed in the fact that I thought they had a really good squad that will challenge for the Serie A. So to see them struggle at this point in the season, I hope they can get back. The And also, they started the season very well. They beat Liverpool in the Champions League, if I recall correctly. Yes. yes. So it looked like they were off to stratospheric heights when they started the season, but now they're struggling. So we hope it's just a slump and they can get back from it and return to the standards that they are known for. All right, Sulaiman, I think that is all we have today. Um, obviously, this week, this weekend is going to be international weekend, you know, so I, that means I'm going to have to watch boring games and see maybe Ronaldo score four against Liechtenstein or any other small team in Europe. Um, so it's going to be a... Uh, a boring weekend for 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 us. Uh, I would like to point out though that Brazil is playing Argentina, and as a fan of Messi, I have to mention this: Messi is back. So remember, he was suspended for three months uh, from the summer after um, criticizing the, uh, the you know the the South American officials. Um, but uh, the game to watch on Friday is is Brazil versus Argentina, and people are saying Messi is is, is going to start, so it should be a good rivalry game um, to see, and and hopefully it should be a, a a very fun game, and that will maybe take off the sorrow that you know there's no uh, club game this weekend. Yeah, any opportunity to watch these two eternal rivals go against each other is always a good one so i'll be tuned in just as well and i know where your allegiances lie and i'll just tell you now that my allegiances are with brazil on this one <laughs> so we will see how this turn out hey as long as Foyth doesn't play and remember Foyth <laughs> is the defender that i absolutely cannot believe is a defender for argentina as long as it doesn't play i think Argentina has a chance. Well, Sulaiman, I think that's all we have today. Um, can you please tell our listeners where to find us? Yes, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and also on Google Podcast. Just search for Fourth Official Soccer Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at Fourth Official SP and email us on fourth official soccer podcast at gmail.com once again we thank you very much for tuning in and listening and we will catch you again next week take it away boy thank you goodbye